minded. This morning we're continuing our sermon series on discipleship, right? We've been going through Dumplin' Baptist, our mission statement, which is what? What are our three things that we focus on here at Dumplin'? Worship, serve, disciple. Mitch, I'm always thankful when you're here, buddy. <laughs> worship, serve, disciple, right? We worship, uh, wor- we worship God because we love God, right? Worship is love expressed. And we serve God and we serve others because Christ first served us. Jesus came, he said, I didn't come here to be served, but to serve. To serve. So that's why we serve others. And a disciple, our definition here at DBC, what is a disciple? As a follower. So if you're a disciple of Christ, that means that you what? You follow Christ. If you're not a disciple of Christ, you're not going to follow who? Christ. Right? Yeah, it's that simple, right? Discipleship. So if if you're a disciple means to be a follower of Jesus, then to make disciples, right? The Great Commission. I hope that you guys enjoyed my friend Tafazua last week. If you were here, um, he, he talked about how Jesus with all of the authority commanded for us not just to be a follower of him but to make more people more followers of Jesus that is authoritative command not a suggestion that Jesus made and my friend T um, he said last week wherever your bottom is get up and go that's what Jesus commands us to do get off your bottom and go right he didn't say bottom but um, I don't want to get in trouble Right. I, I'm gonna use that. I'm gonna use that card for a later time. Right. I'll use that that trouble card later on. He said, "Get off your bottom and go make disciples." And today, um, I hope I hope you hear my heart with this. Um, discipleship is something that God has convicted me pretty much my entire Christian walk, um, and so I take discipleship very seriously. I, there's a I'm a product of of people investing in my life, uh, people praying for me, people taking me to lunch and and telling me um, that God has made me for a purpose. So I am a product of discipleship, right? But I'm also a product of what it looks like to not fully embrace this call to be a disciple, right? I think a lot of times we count the cost of what it looks like if we were to follow Jesus, right? That's the first thing we did on discipleship was count the cost. It might, it might cost you to move away from your family to follow Jesus. It might cost you to stop doing something that you're addicted to. It might cost you to sell everything that you got, right? It might cost you something to follow Jesus. But what we sometimes forget to do is count the cost of what it looks like if we don't follow Jesus. If we don't follow Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said um, about discipleship, and, and one of my favorite quotes that, he, that he's talked about non-discipleship was he used this phrase called cheap grace. We know that grace is something that we get that we do not deserve, right? That we get grace is what we, we get what we do not de- deserve. And he says, cheap grace is about believers who do not appreciate the price paid for their salvation, yet they claim to have been saved. And cheap grace is just a religion that does not require changing your life. And, and so my, my question, I don't have a, a story to tell this morning because I, I take this, this part of discipleship very seriously. I have, I have some questions to ask you. I want you to take a moment and think about, right? Y'all, y'all take a moment, go ahead and close your eyes. I really want you to think about this. And this is geared towards the believers in here, but I want you to think about this week, what did you have to sacrifice this week to become more like Jesus? What did you have to sacrifice this week to become more like Jesus? What did you have to give up in order to please God? 
What is it that is Jesus is requiring you to get out of your life so that you can follow him closer? What required you to go out of your way to stand for someone, to stand for justice or just to help somebody? And the last question I want you to consider throughout this morning is, what is the distinguishing mark on your life that tells people that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? What is it that made you different than everybody else that you were around this week that makes them see that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ? Open your eyes. This morning we're going to be going through two examples in the Bible, two different men who encountered Jesus Christ. And Jesus told them, hey, there's some things in your life that you need to let go of. And we're going to see two different um, responses to that. And I feel like we have to face this every day. Whether we're counting the cost of following Jesus or counting the cost of what it looks like if we choose not to. And uh, I pray that this convicts you as it has done me um, this past couple of weeks getting ready for this. So let's pray and we're going to dig into some scripture. Amen. Yeah. You guys ready for this? Let's pray. God, be with us um, as you are. God, you are here. Um, we don't need to pray for your presence to be here because you are here right now. God, you are in this place. You are in our hearts, God. So, God, I pray that you focus our minds on you. I pray that you give us clarity. Um, Holy Spirit, please interpret these scriptures and speak to us. Challenge us. Don't let us leave unchanged, God. Um, Lord, we love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to be starting in verse 17 um, this morning. Go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. Most of y'all know the story if you grew up in the church. Um, even if you didn't, you might have heard this um, be told as maybe for some advice. But this is a story about the rich young ruler. Right? We know this man is very wealthy. Uh, we know that we don't know much other than he's, he's got a lot of stuff. He's got things, right? He's got money. He's got wealth. He's got possessions. But I, I, wanna, I want us to, to really look at this story this morning. Verse 17. Mark chapter 10, verse 17, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. It says this, And as he was sitting, setting out his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, this is Jesus, he's asking Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right? This is what it looks like to be in a state of desperation. Right? He ran to Jesus and he knelt before him and asked him, Teacher, what is it that I need to do to inherit eternal life? And this is what it looks like to be at a point in life where you feel like there's something missing. Have you ever felt like that before? That you were living your life and you're like, man, putting it in his perspective, this was a rich man. He had more than what he needed, but yet something was missing. And he did the right thing. He ran towards Jesus. He ran towards Jesus. But what, you, what, I, what I didn't realize at first, right, and Jesus kind of opened my eyes, this young, rich man, he had it all, something was missing, and he ran to Jesus, but he didn't ask him, Jesus, what do I need to do to follow you? He asked, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? His priority wasn't, Jesus, I want to be a disciple. Jesus, I want to follow you. What do I need to do with my life in order to be closer to you? He said, Jesus, how do I get to heaven? He completely skipped a relationship with Jesus Christ and said, how do I get to heaven? In other words, he was looking for that get out of hell free card. 
He was looking for that ticket straight to heaven. He had the money. He had the material things. What he didn't have was assurance of not going to hell forever if he died. You guys with me this morning? He didn't have that assurance. And and what this man was wanting was just a get out of hell free card. But look at Jesus' response. Look at verse 18. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness on your neighbor. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Right. Jesus knew that this man would answer like this. Right. Jesus, Jesus, you can't tell anything to Jesus and Jesus go, I didn't know that. Right? You can't surprise Jesus. Jesus knows all. He sees all. He's, he's everywhere. Amen. Right? I had, I had a, one of my guys that I'm discipling send me a message say, Pastor uh, Donnie, he doesn't call me Pastor, but Donnie, uh, man, I, I think I'm mad at God. I said, well, have you told him? He goes, no. I said, well, God already knows. Why are you playing games with him? Right? So this man comes to Jesus and, and Jesus says, well, hey, why do you call me good? God, the Father is the only one who is good. You know the commandments. Right? And he lists these commandments and, and his response was, oh man, I'm good. If that's what I need to do to inherit eternal life is follow those commands. Hey, I've been doing that since I was young. I haven't killed anybody. Right? He, he, so Jesus knew that he was going to, to respond like this. And the rich man said, man, I'm good. If, I, if it's about following the commands, then whew, I'm good, Jesus. But Jesus spoke to me this week, right? And as I prepared for the sermon, I've never, I don't think I've ever realized this before and had to research it a little more, right? Did you realize that Jesus only quoted six of the Ten Commandments, right? And and so I had to research that. Jesus said, read it again. I said, okay, I get it. There's six of them, all right? There's Ten Commandments, you quoted six. And Jesus said, keep searching, keep researching. I said, okay, fine, I'll, I'll keep researching. And I found something that helps explain this, right? You guys know the Ten Commandments, right? Y'all know the Ten Commandments? I hope so, right? Two of these are, you can break these Ten Commandments down to two parts. Horizontally and vertically, right? Jesus quoted horizontal commands from the Ten Commandments, right? Let's read them again. I want y'all to see them. He said, do not commit murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud and honor your father and your mother. Those are horizontal. That has to deal with your morals. That has to deal with your relationships here on earth. That has to deal with everything that's around you right here. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Amen. Right? What Jesus didn't quote was these vertical commandments. The very first one, these vertical commandments have to deal with your heart and with God. Right? very first one, do I have any other gods before who? Me. God is a jealous God, and he has the right to be, right? So Jesus calls these horizontal, yeah, you're morally good. Yeah, you're morally keeping the commands. And this rich guy goes, well, then I'm good, right? I, I, let's keep, I, want you to keep, I want you to keep that in mind as we continue to read. Let's, let's read that one more time. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said to them, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. You see, this young man got caught up in the mindset of, if I live a good life, if I do not murder, if I don't cheat on my wife, if I don't steal, if I don't lie, if I don't cheat people out of money, if I honor my parents, then I'm good. 
See, this young man was strictly obedient to the law of Moses, but with his wealth and his things that he obtained from his wealth, it had completely blinded him to the fact that God was not a priority in his life. That God wasn't close to being first in his heart and that there was a problem. He kept the horizontal, very moral commands, but failed to even keep the very first vertical commandment. Do not have any gods before me. And I feel like we do the same exact thing today. Do you agree with that? I think that I see a lot of times as, as a pastor, I see now, okay, well, if I come to church and I, and I help and I'm a part of this, then I'm good, right? And my response to that, when someone tells me something like that, I say, well, why do you come and help the church? Is it so that I can acknowledge you or so that someone can say how good you are or is it because you love Jesus, right? Or, or, or we get caught up in, well, man, if, if it's all about praying and reading my scripture, I read my Devo and I pray when you tell bow our heads and I pray with you, Pastor. But my question back to you is, why do you pray? Why do you read your Bible? Is it so that you can say that you did it or is it because you need it? There's a difference there. Y'all are being quiet this morning. Y'all are being quiet. Y'all okay? I don't care. <laughs> There's a difference. Why do you do the things that you do? Why do you claim to follow Jesus? Is it because you're truly following Jesus or are you playing a church game? I'll tell you this. Jesus doesn't like church games. He does not like church games. Look at verse 21. We're going to keep going. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, this account is the only account that has that phrase. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And I love that because I think that what that truly means and why Mark chose to do that is because I think it it really hurt Jesus. I think emotionally knowing that this young man was so caught up in what he was doing and thinking that he can work his way into heaven or buy his way into heaven, I think that really hurt Jesus. Right? And, and, and when he, I feel the same thing when Jesus looks at us. He loves us. But when we choose to do our own thing, we choose to follow our own God, I, I believe Jesus looks at us with love, but it hurts. You ever, have you ever thought about that before? I feel like that's what this, why Mark put that in. I may be wrong, but that's what I'm getting from that. Um, but Jesus loved him. And he tells man, okay, if you really want to inherit eternal life, if that's what you're desiring, sell all that you have, go give it away, then come follow me. And so in reality, Jesus is calling this young man, not just about his wealth. We know that. You guys know, um, you guys have heard that this is about his money and his possessions, right? But Jesus called him to let it go. He called this man to let go of his idols and to follow him. It's not always just about the money. Jesus was getting a little deeper than the money. I know some people, look, money's not a bad thing. We know that, right? To have a lot of money is not bad. To not have money is not bad, right? It's the love of money that is what? Evil, right? That's, that's what the evil part is. And so I, I know rich people that their money is not their idol. I've known rich people who, who give their money and give it and give it, and God just keeps blessing them and r- praise God, right, that they give. I, I'm a product of people investing in me because I was broke, right, and they helped me pay my way through college. Um, I know some poor people that money's not their idol because they don't have it, right? 
But I know some rich people that, man, their bank account is thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And God has blessed them with it and they're sitting on it. And the Bible calls that sin. And I know some poor people that money is their idol and they'll do anything to get it. And that's also a sin. So, but this isn't strictly just about money. Jesus is not just focusing that he knew that this man who believed he was being good by being moral, this man who believed that he was in right standing with God because he kept some commandments, right? He knew that it was deeper than his money, that he truly was not following Jesus. He was not following God, that his money was his God. Are y'all following with me? Come on. Jesus calls us to make everything around us second to God. If we are to follow Jesus, if we are to be a true disciple, a disciple is what? A follower. If we are to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, he said that everything else has to look like hate compared to how much you love me. We talked about that in the first week of discipleship. Your love for your family, your kids, even your own life has to look like hate compared to how much you love Jesus. So it's not just about the money. It's not just about whatever your idol is. It's deeper than that. It's the fact that God is not first in your life. It's not about the idol. It's the fact that the idol is first. And your priorities are mixed up. This is why I believe Jesus was upset. Look at verse 22. Jesus called this man to let go of his idols. Look at verse 22. Disheartened by the same he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This man who first initially ran to Jesus because something was missing, Jesus said, let it go. And he said, it's not worth it. It's worth more for me to keep what I have than to follow you, Jesus. And what the rich young man didn't realize was that the cost of walking away from Jesus is way more expensive than what he owned. Y'all with me? He he was counting the wrong cost. He said, it cost me too much to follow you, but he was counting the wrong cost. In your life, what are you holding on to? What is it that you are not letting go when Jesus calls you to follow him? Is it your money? Is it your family? Is it your addictions? Is it pain pills? Is Is it your negativity? Is it your mindset? Is it your car? Is it your past? Is it your guilt? Is it your shame? What is it that Jesus is calling you to let go, to surrender, but you're holding on to? What is it that has a higher priority than Jesus Christ? What is Jesus calling you to surrender? Because no, if you do not surrender, hear this with me. If you do not surrender what Jesus calls you to surrender, it most likely and probably will lead to you costing your life. If you do not follow Jesus, it costs your soul forever and eternity of hell suffering. That is the cost of not following Jesus. If you do not make Jesus, I, I like the way that we do it here when we talk to children. We, we use a simple phrase now. You have to make Jesus the boss of your life. Your boss tells you what to do, right? You listen to your boss, you don't want to get fired, right? If you don't surrender to your boss, guess what? If Jesus isn't your boss, you're going to get fired. Right? That's going to happen. But in reality, what is it that you are being called to let go but not surrender? The result for this young man was 
He walked away sorrowful because the cost of discipleship was too high. Um, he didn't consider the cost of non-discipleship. And so I want us to look at, we're, we're going to pick that back up here in a minute, but let's, let's go to Luke chapter 19. And y'all know the story. There's even a song with it. Luke 19. Y'all know the song? Zacchaeus was a little man. I can tell who the Sunday school teachers are, right? Right. So this is a story about Zacchaeus, right? Short little guy, right? And so I want y'all to, we're going to compare these two men, right? The rich young ruler and Zacchaeus. So let's look at verse 3. And y'all know who Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector, right? And uh, he was wealthy because he worked for the Roman Empire, uh, but he was also wealthy because he was dirty, right? He would, he would take a little more than he was supposed to, put it in his pocket, so everybody hated him. Um, he was the original mafia, right? He, he, he was making his money, okay? So let's, let's look at uh, verse 19, starting at verse uh, 3. And he was, and this is Zacchaeus, he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, um, he could not, because he was small in stature, see him. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for, there was a, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw Zacchaeus and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Verse 6, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Right? And so the difference between this rich man and Zacchaeus was the fact that the young rich man wanted to know how to get to heaven. He wanted to show Jesus, Jesus, look, I'm good. I keep these commandments. I got my life together. Right? I'm good, so I get to go to heaven. Right? But Zacchaeus was more interested in seeing who Jesus was. Do you see the difference in that? One was looking for that get out of hell free card. One was looking, man, there's something about Jesus that I need to climb up this tree to go see. I'm short. Right? I don't know how that feels, praise God. But he said, I, I will climb this tree because there, I need to see what is, what's, what is up with this guy named Jesus. There's a difference there. There's a difference there. He probably, um, Zacchaeus probably had the same material things that the rich young man had, right? He had money, so he probably had the same thing. He probably lived in the same type of house. Um, but in the same way as the rich young guy, there was something missing in his life. And he knew that, man, I think Jesus is the answer to that. I think Jesus is the answer to that. Um, that's why we saw people grumbling. And that's one of my favorite things. This is a whole other sermon, right? This is one of my favorite things to see. Anytime Jesus is with sinners, right? Praise God. Other people get mad and go, why is Jesus with them? Right? I love that. And here's why. This is, this is not a part of the sermon. Well, I guess it is. This is a part of discipleship. This is why I love it. 2018, if I was to go to where the sinners are, I guarantee some of you would start grumbling. If I was to go into the bar or to the dance hall, Tattoo shop where the sinners are. Like Jesus, I bet some of y'all would grumble. Why my pastor going in there? I'm just saying if Jesus didn't come back to me where I was, I wouldn't be here today. So I don't know why we tried to become a Christian club and say all of a sudden now, 2018, we're not going over there where Jesus would have went. Right, Don? 
That's, that's something for free. We'll come back to that another time. Right? Let's keep it going. Look at verse 8. Jesus tells them, come down from the tree. I need to, we need to have um, dinner together. And look at verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the, Lord, to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he was also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the what? The lost. You see, we don't know the conversation that happened between Zacchaeus and Jesus. But we do, uh, we can assume, right? In my heart, I have peace knowing the fact that Jesus probably preached the same thing that he's been preaching in his ministry. He probably told Zacchaeus, hey, if you don't repent and turn from your ways, then the king's coming and he's going to be here and he's going to condemn everybody who doesn't repent. Right? He probably said something like that. And he probably also said, hey, if you, if you don't pick up your cross and follow me, then you can't be my follower. Right? And I guarantee Jesus probably told him the story, man, I just talked to a man who is just like you, who has money, who thinks he's good. And he walked away from me. We don't know that for sure that Jesus said that, but I know just like Ray saw, saying today, Jesus doesn't change. The gospel doesn't change. The only way to get to heaven is through the Father having faith and a relationship in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for yours and my sins. That doesn't change. So Zacchaeus heard the gospel. I know that for a fact. But Zacchaeus, the difference between Zacchaeus and this rich young ruler was the rich man, Jesus told him, hey, you have to let this go. If you want to follow me, you have to let this go. And he walked away. He counted the wrong cost. Zacchaeus gets with Jesus and goes, man, I, I can't not follow you. I can't afford not to follow you. I can't afford to keep this money. He came down. He said, I'm giving not just 10% to you, God. I'm giving you 50% right off the bat. Here's my money. I'm not just going to repay the people I've messed and, and, and screwed over. I'm going to give them four times more. And I wish some of y'all would do that with your tithe checks. Amen? <laughs> okay. we'll, we'll accept that. But Zacchaeus could not walk away. Zacchaeus said, it's not worth it for me to lose my soul. It's not worth it for me to keep this stuff. I need to follow Jesus. I'll give it away. And it said that he was joyful. Joyful. He said, my money isn't worth my soul. Compare that back to the rich man Jesus called him to follow. He looked at his life and says, it's not worth it for me to follow you, Jesus. And he walked away. He walked away. But to those who see the cost of non-discipleship, for those of us who see what it looks like and what it costs to not follow Jesus, right? We look at our life and we go, man, why would I follow anything other than Jesus? If you've been in that point where you say, man, there's no other option for me, it's just Jesus. If you haven't been in that situation, man, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you get to that point in your life where you don't want to follow anything else. That it costs too much to not follow Jesus. It costs too much. Look at verse 9 and 10 one more time. 
And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to his house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The result of Zacchaeus being told to follow, to follow Jesus was he joyfully gave up the idol. He gave up his wrongdoing. He repented. He, forg- or he, he uh, gave back the money that he had stolen. Right? And I imagine there wasn't much left for Zacchaeus. Right? After giving 50% to God and giving everyone everything back four times, I'm sure he didn't have a lot of money left over. My bank account would have been toast, right? I would have been writing IOU checks. But there wasn't much left for Zacchaeus. But even with that in mind, he said, it cost me too much not to follow that. It cost me too much to keep this idol above God in my heart. We have to count the cost of not following Jesus. We have to count the cost. These two men gave us this great example of what you do after you encounter Jesus. After Jesus says, hey, to let this go, we get two great examples. Both men, right, if we compare both men, both of them encountered Jesus. Both of them ran to Jesus. One man ran and dropped to his knees. The other couldn't see. He climbed to a tree, up a tree. They knew that there was something missing and they both went to Jesus. That is a good thing. Run to Jesus. If you're feeling like something is missing in your life, maybe because it is, and maybe that thing that's missing is Jesus Christ. So both men have a good example of that, right? Running to Jesus. But one was on losing to lose, unwilling to lose what his heart treasured the most, and the other was unwilling to keep what he treasured the most. So what made the difference? Right? And I, I believe that what, what, what made the difference is what they truly treasured the most. They both counted the cost and made their choice. And so my question for us today is, have you counted the cost? We talked about it two weeks ago. Jesus tells us to count the cost of discipleship. Like I said earlier, you, you have to hate your mother, your father, your kids, your, you know, your own life. If you don't, you're not willing to follow me. But if I'm scared that we focus on the wrong cost. Jesus wants us to count and really think about what we lose if we do not follow him. Matthew 16, 26 says, For what will profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his what? His soul. Look at what the rich man lost by keeping his possessions, keeping his idol. Think about it. He, he lost, the, the, I have a little list here. He lost the forgiveness of his sins, right? He encountered Jesus but walked away. There was nothing that said he was forgiven. Zacchaeus encounters Jesus. He says, I'm with it. He says, that man, you have been saved with salvation upon your house. Zacchaeus, or the rich man, lost the chance of forgiveness and sins. He lost the grace and mercy and love that, could have, um, that he could have felt right then and right there. He lost the being a part of the true body of Christ and not being a fake member of the body. We're all, we're all part of the body of Christ. Y'all believe that? Some of you are trying to be prosthetic, though. I'd rather have the real thing. He lost God's provisions. Even Jesus said when talking to him that if he would have followed him and give up his earthly possessions that he would never lack because he would have received even more. Isn't that funny? The thing that you treasure the most, Jesus said, hey, I'll give you more. I'll give you more than what you think you have. The kingdom fund never runs dry. Right? 
But he chose to hang on. He lost the abundant life that Jesus could have given in John 10, 10, right? That Jesus came to give life and life abundantly. Most importantly, he lost this eternal joy that comes with Jesus, even in the hard times. I love the song that Ray sang this morning. God is the same in the day. He's the same at night. He's the same on the mountaintop. He's the same in the valley. But we only get that if we're in a relationship with God, who is good in the day, who is good in the night, who is good on the valley, who is good on the mountaintop, who is good in the valley. Nobody else in the world has that. Do you understand that? Nobody else has that type of joy that comes from God other than a believer in Jesus Christ. He lost out on that. The rich young ruler lost God. He chose money over God. He chose not to surrender his life to Jesus. He chose to be a follower who does not follow. He was keeping the commands. He knew the Bible. But he was not following Jesus. That's an easy trap to fall into. To be a follower who, do, who does not follow. Now I'm afraid that that's why America looks the way that it looks. We got Christians who are not being Christians. We can have all this gun talk about schools and teachers having guns. There's Christians in the school. If they were Christians acting like Christians, maybe we wouldn't have this problem. There's teachers that were believers in that school. If they were acting like believers, maybe we wouldn't have that problem. There's Christians in America. But if we were acting like Christians, maybe America would look a little different. And y'all are quiet. I like that. I like when you're quiet. We got followers who are not following Jesus. The difference between the rich man and Zacchaeus was that the young rich man walked away. Zacchaeus climbed. And then came down and followed. We count the cost of non-discipleship based on what we treasure the most. Our hearts stay with our treasure, right? Luke 12, 34 says that, right? Our hearts, what we treasure is within our hearts. And as weak humans, we will not part ways with what captures our hearts. This is my testimony, right? I, I was six years old when I accepted Christ. My grandpa told me, son, if you were to die without Jesus and surrendering your life to him, you're going to die and go to hell. I was only six years old and I understood Right? I need Jesus. Right? I surrendered my life to Jesus, 12 years old. You guys have heard this before. I surrendered my life to, to, to the ministry, to being a pastor. 18 years go by, I started doing what I wanted to do, what I treasured the most. I was prideful. I was addicted to sex outside of marriage. I was, I was, I was a mean person. But at church, they called me preacher boy. I was really two-faced because my heart didn't treasure Jesus, it treasured myself. I was my own idol. What I wanted, I got. Very manipulative. I surrendered my life, but there was things in my heart that I would not let go of. No matter how many times Jesus called me to let it go. And it took me until I was 18 years old, a freshman in college. My mentor, six foot nine, big dude, right? I'm going in there and I'm talking to him like, Josh, there's just something, I can't figure out there's something wrong in my life, man. And so, well, tell me, what are you doing? I said, man, I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm going to chapel on Wednesdays. Our, our school required us to go to chapels, right? But I said, I'm going to chapel every Wednesday. I'm going to church. And I feel like there's something missing. And I was questioning my faith. It was the first time in my life where I questioned, okay, God, are you really there? And I just kept telling my, my, my mentor, my guy that who was discipling me, man, I'm doing all these things. And he finally told me to shut up. He literally said, Donnie, shut up. 
I don't care what you do or what you think you're doing. You haven't surrendered. You haven't truly followed Jesus Christ. And my salvation was secure. I, I, I was saved. I was forgiven of my sins. I confessed that Jesus was my Lord. But there was these idols in my life that were causing me not to fully surrender. And because of that, I was missing out on, cho- on joy. I was missing out on peace. I was missing out on my purpose. I was missing out on grace because I was so guilty of my sin. Jesus was calling me to let it go, accept my grace. And I just kept holding on to my shame. Right? I was missing out on all of these things because I did not let go. I wasn't counting the cost of what it looks like for me to hold on to those things. So if you're in that same boat, and I know some of you probably are hard. If you feel like God's not there, you know, man, I know I'm saved. Jesus is maybe calling you to let some things go. I tell you this, once I finally did, he dropped, my mentor made me drop on my knees. He told me, shut up and get on your knees. And I did. He said, don't leave until you surrender it all. And it took like four hours, like four in the morning. <laughs> I couldn't even speak anymore. Couldn't even cry anymore. Have you ever got to a point where you can't even, there's no tears even to come out of your face? I felt Jesus. And that feeling of letting go and let Jesus take it for me to say, Jesus, I'm done trying. That was the, I can't even explain that feeling. But I do know the feeling of what it feels like to hold on. Amen. And I can tell some of you are still holding on to what Jesus is trying to tell you to let go of. Man, the, the cost of holding on, looking back, I remember the next day I woke up and I go, man, I'm never going back. I'll never go back to that. My life is Jesus's. I'm done. What I got from doing that, oh my gosh. If you felt that, you know. Right? If you felt it, you know. If you haven't felt it, maybe that's what Jesus is telling you to do. Maybe Jesus is exposing some type of idol in your heart that you feel like you can't let go. I'm pleading with you, don't walk away from Jesus. Your story can be different than the rich young ruler. Your story can look more like Zacchaeus. Gaining everything, gaining salvation, gaining joy, peace, love, happiness, all these things. But in reality, you could be gaining more of Jesus if you surrender. Philippians 3a says, Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. The cost of not following Jesus is way, way more than the cost of letting go to follow him. I don't know if y'all are with me this morning or not, but I feel like God's kind of working in someone's life right now. I have a whole other page, and I think the Spirit's telling me to stop, so I'm going to stop. I feel the Spirit working this morning. So I want to end it the way that we started. Close your eyes for a minute. I'm literally going to say the same, the intro from this morning. Think about what you had to sacrifice this week to become more like Jesus Christ. 
What did you have to give up in order to please God? What is it that required you to go out of the way to help someone, to stand for justice, to fight evil, or to help someone in need? This big question here. In what ways are you different from the people that you work with, that you live around, that you come encounter with? What makes you different than them? What distinguishes you a Christian in your life, if you are a Christian? Y'all look at me. C.S. Lewis had a book. He wrote the Screwtape Letters. Right? I haven't got to read all of it. I want to, I want to finish reading it, but it's awesome. It's these demons giving um, advice to these other demons and how to mess our lives up so we stop following Jesus. I want to read this right here. This is a, a demon speaking to his, his, the person that he's mentoring. Okay, this is, this is obviously fake, but he says, A moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all. And it's more amusing. Amusing. A moderated religion, an average, same old, same old religion, is just as good for us as no religion at all. Jesus is calling you to follow him. Just like he called the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus. If you feel like something's missing in your life, maybe you have an idol that's taking God's place. The rich young man, when Jesus told him to follow him, said, it cost me too much to let go, Jesus, I'm sorry. He walked away. He told Zacchaeus the same thing, I'm sure. Share the gospel with him. And Zacchaeus said, I can't afford not to follow Jesus. But you have to come to that point in your own life from, with yourself. So I'm going to have the, the worship team come up. And uh, 